Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, you're listening to Wish We Knew What To Say with me, Pragya Garwal. How do you talk to your child about discrimination, privilege, power, race and racism? This is a podcast about talking with children about race. Covering all ages from toddler to teen, in each episode I meet with a parent, carer or educator to hear their experiences of having these vital conversations. Welcome. I'm so delighted to have Carrie Lloyd with me today. She's an actor, writer, improviser, podcaster. Is there anything that Carrie can't do? She has appeared in Out of Her Mind, this time with Alan Partridge, Peep Show, Murder in Successville, and on QI, Have I Got News for You and Would I Lie to You? She's also a founder member of Ostentatious, the improvised Jane Austen novel, who until recently were resident in the West End and have had three Radio 4 specials. Carriot is also the creator and host of Griefcast, a podcast where she talks to people about their experiences of grief and death. And it's a really much needed and very honest space to talk about loss, some of these uncomfortable conversations. And it was really good to be on that podcast with Carriot recently. It won Best Podcast of the Year in 2018, Best Podcast at the Arias, and was nominated for a Rose d'Or in 2019. She has been heard on Radio 4 in just a minute, The Now Show and Small scenes and Carriot is currently writing a book based on the grief cast called You Are Not Alone to be published in 2021 and I can't wait for it. Welcome Carriot. Um, Carriot lives in London and you have two children don't you? I do yes one just turned four and I had a baby just before lockdown one. So how um, I mean your children are just the age when you they start becoming aware of kind of race or racial difference and especially if they're going to nursery is it quite a multicultural diverse nursery that she goes to yeah it is so we're based in London um and I'd say the area we live in is is pretty is pretty diverse although you know not as diverse as other areas of London but yeah her nursery is very diverse and funny enough I remember reading something I wonder if it's something that you posted actually about um when children learn bias and it was saying like from three three or something there mm-hmm. you know they start to show a bias so um 
yeah, I got very like on it of like, is she showing a bias? <laughs> like, and yeah, she was really confused as to what the what I was talking about because I think her nursery is really diverse and she doesn't. She's very unaware at the moment of um, like boys and girls or different skin. Like, it doesn't mean that it's more just like, oh, I play with that person. That person hits people. <laughs> that's, that's the <laughs> distinction at the moment. She's like, no, we don't sit. We don't play with that boy because he he bites. That's what she tell. <laughs> but and anything else is like either they bite and push or they don't, and then they're her friend. Yeah. So um, so wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I feel partly responsible for you getting on it. <laughs> so I'm really curious to know, how did you get on it? What did yeah, you I know. I'm such a cliche of like, such a like, I, I sometimes think of like, if someone from the alt-right saw me, I'd be, they'd be like, oh, that's who I'm talking, that's who I hate. That kind of liberal Londoner. I'm like, hello, do my best. <laughs> I recycle and compost, but I'm not really changing anything. Um, so yeah, I think, well, obviously this year, so I had, I was already, I had already begun quite a big anti-racist journey. <laughs> well done me. Um, but I hadn't told anyone about it or done anything about because it was just sort of very personal, kind of like, I think a year before the this year's big Black Lives Matter happened. So I'd already sort of started really, really being aware of, you know, educational content particularly on social media and and started really like checking myself and especially her library so she's really 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 into books so I was like and I was really into books and I had no diverse books at all growing up at all like I mean I had most of my books were obviously about like rabbits or bears or all of that animal stuff but I definitely didn't remember I remember I think Hand as Surprise is that's the really famous classic one I remember that probably from school but that was like, oh, the book about Africa, like mm. the different book. So I made a really big effort to diverse her her books. Um, and her cousins are half Japanese. So there was already that, I guess, in my mind of, you know, wanting her to be aware of like, not that there's a difference, but other cultures. And mm. we talk about that a lot, that she has Japanese family and what does that mean and but she's mainly interested like where are they what like the concept mm. of where is that place and um that's more what gets her so I'd begun but then yes when the Black Lives Matter movement happened this year it really made me go oh I've sort of been trundling along but not really addressing things head on and I felt very guilty about that and thought oh there's loads of resources I hadn't shared with other people because I just I didn't I, it was very sort of personal I didn't mm. think well, who am I to tell people diversify your books like yeah so I but then when that movement happened I sort of thought right you know you they, there is way more work you could do so I did try and tackle it head on and she definitely wasn't ready <laughs> she was very confused um and I'd read this thing saying like they express his bias and I tried to talk to her about it and she was just like I could see it never ever occurred to her that people were a different skin color like absolutely she was really confused. And then she didn't even know what her skin color was. So she was like, well, what, what is my skin color? And I said, oh, well, you're white. And I have to say, like, we're not just white. We're like, we're ghostly pale. We are the <laughs> Victorian Gothic side of white. Like it is see-through. And um, she, I said, you're white. And she was like, well, what color are you? And I was like, well, I'm white. And then she compared our skin and she was like, but we're not the same color because she's even paler than I am because I've at least, you know, been out in the world for longer. And she was like, but we're different colors. And I was like, oh, this is, oh, how do I? So I kind of tried to, yeah, open up that conversation, I guess. 
a really long answer, Prakash. No, no, it's really interesting to hear because I know it's a really tricky one. I mean, uh, and I'm always interested about how do you take the first step? I think that is yeah. often the most challenging thing because when suddenly you think my child is now growing up. So even if they go to a multicultural diverse school or grow up in a multicultural neighborhood, you can't raise them colorblind. You no. know, you can't just not have that conversation, which used to be the norm that, okay, if we don't talk about color, then that means that we just treat everybody equally. We've had this lo- loads of conversations around melanin and skin color and how skin colors are different colors, even within the same shade of skin color, mm-hmm. there can be different amounts of melanin in it. And so talking about bodies and biology. And then they came to a stage where they started saying, oh, I have darker skin color or brown. And this is really good, mommy, isn't it? And I thought, God, this is fantastic. This is work done. It's so hard because like, for, forgive the expression, like kids are quite binary in their thinking. Yeah, they're quite exactly. black and white exactly. in their thinking. Exactly. So we had the same, so when Black Lives Matter happened, I was like, okay, so she had lots of books that, books is the only way to talk to her. She really, really understands when it's in a story. So we had lots of diverse books, but we didn't have anything that addressed the issue. So um, Look Up um, is one of my absolute favorites. And she loves that book. And we had, um, yeah, like lots of other books, which weren't about race at all. So then I was like, okay, so I bought um, a book. There's these amazing series of books where they're kind of about leaders I think they're called little leaders Mm -hmm. or something little women leaders and they do men one I bought a Josephine Baker book because she loves um dancing so I was like oh and we had talked about Josephine Baker come up in another feminist book I know all right man I'm like the worst (laughs) so I bought this book on Josephine Baker because I was like she already knows who that is and in the book it addressed it slightly it said Josephine Baker moved from America to France um, because at the time a black woman couldn't get as much work in America. So she moved to France and became a star. So we read this book and we're talking about the dancing and yeah, that's how I broached it was like the skin color thing, but she was so confused of like, oh, she's black. And also, I guess it's also pictures. And then she started just pointing at people in the book and being going, they're black. Oh, and that one's black and that's black. And I was like, and then I was like, but why are you so nervous about that Carrie? Like she, and I'd be like, yes that's right and I I think having grown up exactly like you said in the colorblind mm. world like we don't discuss it it doesn't matter there's always a part of me that's like oh god don't say it and I'm like so I've had to really retrain myself to be like yes Josephine Baker is black and that's mm. why her life was difficult at that point we had a, oh, this I mean this isn't even funny it was so awful I bought a Martin Luther King one. Oh no Martin Luther King features in the Josephine Baker book so I was like trying to explain to her she was like well who who's the who's he I said he was a really amazing man and he was really brilliant and he stood up and he'd said to everyone hey everyone you know we all have to start being kinder to each other and she went wow what did everyone say and I was like and I thought how do I was like well that's such a fantastic question to ask, isn't it? It's so bright. And sometimes children really stump you. I chickened out. I was like, well, lots of people thought it was a really good idea. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, you're too, you know, she was three and a half at that yeah. point. I was like, how do I tell you? Somebody somebody shot here. Like, I can't go into that. That's yeah. so much to take on board. But then I always feel like, oh, maybe I, oh, yeah, it's very complicated. No, I think it is tricky. And what you say about being uncomfortable because you've been brought up in that kind of colorblind way and we don't want to assign that label but I think that really helps in a children understanding that yes people are different skin color but everybody's special and unique and I try to give a positive spin to it at the moment in a lot yeah. of groups we're saying okay look they've got darker skin color like they've got different colors eyes and they've got different colored hair and all of them are 
special and unique and all of them because their bodies are different and because they come from different parts of the world or whatever. And we try to work like that. But I think it is quite tricky when you when you talk about these kind of slavery movements or what happened in the past. And my children are also four. They turned four in April and they've been asking loads of questions about uh, like yeah, Martin Luther King, but also other people like we talk about and about what happened and why did people not like this person and why did yeah. people do that? That's and really hard when yeah. we've got a book that's like great feminist icons because <laughs> I'm the liberal worst and Harriet Tubman features. Yeah. And she was really into like, you know, oh, wow, Harriet, like helped all these people get out. But then, yeah, the question was like, well, why were they being horrible to them? And I was like, well, they didn't, you know, they were being cruel because of their skin color. And she was like, you could see it kind of half going in and being like, but like she wants a reason to that. She wants justification. I'm like, they they just weren't very nice. They weren't. And we try and we try and stick a lot with kindness. Like they weren't Mm -hmm. kind because I think that's she's very that's what the nursery are very yeah. into that kind of language but you feel I always feel like I'm minimizing it like mm-hmm. by saying something like oh they weren't kind when you're talking about the slave tra- like it's like oh everything yeah. language completely fails you most of the time but and I'm but I'm also trying to remember I remember speaking to you about it you, ages ago and you were like whoa like you don't have to like land all of this <laughs> now and it's like white liberal guilt being like you need to understand because I didn't and it's like you know yeah she's just a kid and I think the diverse I have to say the diverse nursery I think is one of the sort of weirdly most positive things that's happened because just being around people who look different to you sound different to you so her key worker wears a hijab and so we bought a book on hijabs and she was really excited she was like oh she looks she looks just like um so and so yeah it's just like a just like her and then the key worker said to me oh we had a big conversation about it and they were all the children were asking questions and she was like it's really good and so I found that really it's really it's, it seems like such a nice way to do it with kids because you're talking about people that are in front of them that they have interaction mm-hmm. with that they like that they are you know so that you're not having to sort of talk about it in weird terms that they can't connect to I guess yeah, I think talking in abstract terms can really, um, I think, confuse children. And I think that's something that I've found confusing because surprisingly, we live in an area which I don't know many people might if they live in slightly rural areas where there's not much diversity or multicultural nature. So they went to, my children went to a nursery where they were the only brown or mixed heritage people among the staff or students. There wasn't anybody, all children had blonde hair and, yeah. and they were only people with dark hair so even just saying that actually you blonde hair is not the epitome or the representative beauty norm but dark hair is also beautiful is something that I had to really push with them because they came back and said I want blonde hair or yellow hair is beautiful oh I mean yeah is that that stuff like I grew up with that stuff and I was absolutely adamant that she wasn't gonna watch bloody frozen and then lockdown happened and I was like how can I survive lockdown without putting on frozen I can't and now she has a very definite um, understanding that blonde hair is beautiful. Yeah. And she and she also said something to me about her eyes, like, oh, well, my eyes aren't beautiful because mm-hmm. they're not as big as Elsa's. And yeah. I was like, oh, my God. Like, it just gets in there so early. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, I'm a, I, I have blonde hair as a kid, but I definitely remember being aware that I wasn't, you know, obviously, that like, Disney yeah. beautiful. And I was just like, oh. 
bloody hell so why am i just think why couldn't you just give it a brown hair <laughs> just give it a like they gave anna red hair like oh well we've done it it's like no you didn't just made elsa have brown hair and brown eyes like i know it's set in norway like yeah. Norwegian people don't all look like they're just so annoying um but then that's obviously that's white liberal guilt being like well that would make my job easier to explain racial differences but then i really get obsessed i got obsessed with moana so i was like pushing moana to be like because i think moana i was like blown away one it's a brilliant film the music is good but the way they drew Moana, they you can see she is not yeah. as tiny as the others. She looks real and she's strong. And, you know, there's a lot more stuff I personally think going for Moana. So I try and really push Moana. But to the point where she's like, oh, God, not Moana. I get like, can we watch Frozen? Because you're so anti. She knows I'm anti-Frozen. So she's like, what is this political issue with your mother? Like... I think this is really difficult because I think children pick up on what you don't like. Yeah, they know. And then they're like, let's watch Frozen. So like, it annoys her. So it annoys mummy. Why? Yeah. And I think we have to be careful that we are not pushing, pushing it in a way that they become resentful. And I have to watch yeah. that as well with sexism, but also with racia, yeah. racism now and just talking about things and making sure that they're very aware that they have to stand up for themselves. Because as a as a person of color, I'm very conscious that they go to a school where they are almost probably the only child of like yeah. Indian, half Indian heritage in their year or any, there's no black children or any other brown children. So I'm very, very hyper aware of whether they are being treated differently by anybody else or by, or if they're facing any kind of meanness because they look different than anybody else. And I, so I'm really like watching out for it like an yeah. eagle if they say anything this boy said something mean to me or pushed me or twisted my arm I'm always like why what did he say what exactly did he say Sit, tell I me know words. And I've like, been like that as well like she doesn't want to play with someone I'm like why why like what, what what was what was it about the person she's like oh she pushed me and I'm like oh yeah sorry sorry like, you're, not, you're not being unconsciously biased racist I just wanted to check it's just like oh no and then you're like oh you should be allowed to say no to someone who pushed you no matter what their color yeah. is or yeah. sex they are that should be yeah. okay you say no don't push me I grew up in London and where I grew up again wasn't like massively diverse but was London diverse mm -hmm. like and I find that really I just find it so hard to get my head around an area that isn't slightly diverse and I went to university at Sussex and um I went to so it's basically Brighton and I remember, you know, Brighton, this multi, you know, everyone yeah. being like, oh, Brighton, Brighton. I remember coming to Brighton and walking around the city and being like, this feels weird. What's weird? What's weird? It's like odd about this. And I was like, God, it's so white. Like I wasn't used to it. And having friends who hadn't grown up in London being like, oh no, like I think this is normal. Or like, yes, there was only one other person who, you know, I being like, oh, I was the only person of color in my school. Me being like, mm. my school was pretty bad. It really wasn't very diverse, but it wasn't, that you know I was like I, I find that really hard and I said my brother is married to a Japanese woman and we had a big conversation a while ago about where we grew up and he was saying well I don't know I'd feel like comfortable with my kids being there because they'd be the only half, half Japanese family and you know how would that affect and I, I was like god you just it's these things that don't occur to you when you don't have to think about them I guess and yeah. that's been a learning lesson for me of like you know I'm really glad that we are like I have a diet that she can go to a diverse nursery and learn but if we didn't she wouldn't be in the minority she wouldn't be like you said like you having to think they are the only kids is that affecting it are other people's yeah I think there's something about living in London that 
it's you know obviously I would think that I'm a Londoner <laughs> like but like I get that I'm not saying it's the best place in the world I just I love it but I do think that diversity that's just in the system just everywhere so you know mm-hmm. when you're getting the bus when you're going to a shop when you're talking to people and that like it just making that more part of your normal world I think does yeah. definitely helps to yeah start talking start that conversation not make yeah it must be so hard for you that they are the only ones and then I would be the same I'd be so overprotective if she was the only yeah if I was a person of color and that was yeah. the situation you're in I would be really overprotective I complete think that's completely understandable yeah I think we've had lots of conversations about where we should live and I think my husband being white he carries that privilege where he doesn't notice these things and he never thought of it and he likes to live in small villages and the <laughs> countryside but that has inevitably meant that yeah. we've, I've, I've always been the only brown person or my eldest daughter who's growing up only the only brown people and for him that doesn't he's never even thought that that's a problem yeah. and that we stand apart or and it's only recently when i've explicitly started telling him about microaggressions and about people noticing me or following me in a shop or he's like initially used to say do you think they really meant it or i'm sure they didn't really mean it and it's taken him a while to understand that actually it is yeah. true because he's noticed these things himself and he's become i think aware more with the children now small yeah. children and becoming a father again and i think we've having conversations about where we should live and where we sh- and moving down south where there's more diversity because I hate the thought that they are growing up in a place where they don't see yeah. people of all different kinds, different skin colors, but also different a diversity in other forms as well, you know. It's such a it's such a privilege, isn't it? It's such, and I think the conversation has changed in the last couple of years. Like I would have been the same five well, I said I think I had that conversation with my brother probably seven years ago. And that was the first time I was like, oh, and I was like, what are you talking about? They'd be fine here. And he was yeah. like, they would be the only like Asian family, a lot, yeah. you know, East Asian family. Do you, do you not think that might affect them? And I was like, oh, uh, like it hadn't occurred yeah. to me. And I'm, if you're white, it does, it, you have to look and think about it if you're white. And obviously if mm. you're not, you don't have to think about it. It's happening to you. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So your children, your child, she's still at nursery, but you're quite happy with the way they are tackling the issues of diversity and... Yeah, they've been amazing and they've been very like when Black Lives Matter movement happened this year, they were like responded to it, sent resources. Um, their books of like the teaching staff is completely diverse to the point, you know, of like, yes, like black, brown, Asian, different religions represented and, and, and white represented. And so you just and they have a man as well teaching, which I also think is really yeah. important. And so I feel like the books that they talk about, they just did a big Diwali project, like, and it's, you know, then now they're going on to their Christmas concert. Like, it's just, they just sort of, it, it, it's not, it's just in, what's the word? It's like in them, in their ethos. Yeah. In their completely so much yeah. in their ethos that there's no sort of like, oh, now we're going to do a special project you know there's none of that at all and that's really lovely because she doesn't you can see already she's just like yeah Diwali Christmas like no big deal <laughs> like they're yeah. all the same thing she's starting to run them all in together as like they're just religious festivals like rather than like oh that one's different and special and um yeah they did a massive project on Diwali which was like it was so nice and it was so sweet and because they did like shadow puppets and they did Rangoli and so it was just you can see just as much as you would be make a Christmas card now. We're just doing my like to her. It's just like another activity. Um, I do think that, I mean, you know, maybe the nurseries are different, but because it is, it's a London nursery in a diverse area and the teaching staff are completely diverse. So you can see they would, you know, the teachers that were of that religion were leading those projects. Mm. Um, and the way they spoke about it as well, it was really nice. They did this big, I said the Rangoli project and the way they talked about what Rangoli meant and, and how much of a skill it was and how important an honour it was to do it. And I thought it was really yeah. interesting rather than being like, we've looked it up. That's what yeah. I remember saying. We've looked it up. So this is what we think they do. We're going to do this now. Anyway, we've done that for the week, you know, yeah. and I would be like, okay. So um, the kind of, obviously someone from that heritage talking about what that culture means to them is such a different thing. So I do think the nursery are doing a, a brilliant job, but um, obviously you still have to. Compliment it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I don't think, I, I have to say, you know, living in London, I mean, yes, it's diverse. It's still racist. <laughs> like, yes, that's the thing. Isn't it? It's not like, oh, but we don't, do you know what Prague is weird? Because we don't have <laughs> racism here. There's none of it here. It's like, it's absolutely, completely diverse, completely multicultural. And there's still a lot of racism in London. So wherever you go, I just think it's slightly different problems, isn't it? Because white supremacy is what? Yeah. The, the history of what we're dealing with is still is still there and you know I still have relatives that are are racist and yeah. you know within a family where we have yeah half Japanese family and it's it's yeah it's really it's a deeply deeply ingrained problem that isn't going to go away with some books in the living in a yeah. diverse area but again you know you try and do what you can but I think it sounds really lovely with your nursery, which I'm really envious about because in a lot of schools and nurseries, I think it can become such a 
as you say, quite a tokenistic thing where they, okay, yeah. so we should do some diversity. So we will do something on Eid or we will do a day on Diwali and get them to color some photocopies of Rangoli. <laughs> I and, definitely uh, remember that at school being like, oh, right, suddenly we're learning about like this thing that clearly a teacher has had no experience of at all. Yeah. So it's like reading from a book. Yeah, no, that, I think that's the thing that's been really lovely watching it at nursery of like, it's just... It's just completely, as I said, in in their curriculum, and yeah, I, I I am happy about that. I think that's a lovely thing that London does offer. But again, it's that thing of, I think the teaching staff is so important, isn't it? It's yeah. like if, if everybody is white, then you're coming late to that conversation. You yeah. haven't experienced it. You know, it's you're having to, yeah, you are having to not you know absorb a culture and then repeat it back to a child which is a completely different experience I just think just having diversity in the top or top level of an organization makes a huge difference and I think that's the most surprising thing that because when I talk about my husband he's the most liberal kind of left-wing politically conscious and I know and it's like really fair-minded and he caught, caught on to sexism quite early in his life but I think still it takes a while to unlearn some of these things because it's so pervasive and it's yeah. so deep rooted in our system. Um, but talking about nurseries, I mean, my children's nursery, I offered to go and read a book on Diwali to them, which I oh. thought would be nice for yeah. children to learn rather than doing something. But I think some of the books also enforce these stereotypes because my children came back and said, oh, no, you know, in <laughs> India, they celebrate Diwali and they all wear saris and they all wear these things. And I was like, actually, <laughs> I come from. India so <laughs> I, I can tell you that's darling let me let me tell you it's not true yeah I think that's true and I I've I found that like I was trying to find the, her some Japanese books yeah, yeah. and then I thought I'd fa- I found this really beautiful book and um I ordered it and then I realized that the two the person who wrote it Andrew aren't Japanese and then I started reading it and I was like this is a about a Japanese girl but it's absolutely everything you'd expect of cherry blossoms and like you know she found the and I just was like oh god like yeah it's just when you just want to find something where I get absolutely obsessed with I mean I'm really really into children's books absolutely obsessed with how many characters are male so many characters look I'm a massive Gruffalo fan they're all men why can't this snake be a woman like just one of them I constantly change the gender when I'm absolutely me too because I just cannot deal with it it annoys me so much and the key I think to the books that you notice is when the first character that's introduced so they have like oh so and so woke up and then they met a rabbit the rabbit she said and you're like she well your first character introducing is a woman what's this boldness (laughs) like it never happened and also I get obsessed with um diverse backgrounds like, I can't believe some of the books I used to read when you're like, oh, my God, like some of those real classics um, where everybody's white, everybody's mm-hmm. white. Um, the amount of um, children's books that have yeah. white characters in them is like yeah. compared to the ones that are led by a rabbit. It's like it's ridiculous. But just to put like make the just, the you know, people in the world they're populating look like the world that they are like, living in. Yeah. 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 And um yeah, I know what you mean about the Diwali books or the books that are like, we're dealing with the thing. Yes. <laughs> I think that's why I love Look Up. Look Up is so great because it's about a black family and she wants to be an astronaut and it, that's it really. Like that's the story. But yeah. it's just like, it's, you know, but obviously you, I understand you're trying to 
because that's what I felt I had done. I was like, oh, I've diversified, diversified her, her books, but I hadn't had any books that dealt with the actual truth. And I was like, oh, yeah. oh God. Um, Josephine Baker can fix all these for me. Um, so, yeah, I know what you mean. Sometimes it perpetuates the stereotype. Yeah, I think it's really important to take that first step, though, or even that is quite difficult because when we started going to the library and getting books out, it was really hard to find books that actually had diverse characters, as you uh, said, even to start off with that. And I think they need to learn about different cultures, but it is a shame that these different books, the diverse books, actually are so seeped in stereotypes. So they don't yeah. show just people of different background and heritage just doing normal things you know that they, this is the world we live in that people do normal things that don't necessarily have to fall into a particular box to show that they are a different culture heritage. you start noticing it as well when yeah. you start looking at like who the who the story is focusing on and then who their friends are and what color are their friends and what does oh, even their hair yeah. like yeah. they all have great hair do they all have blue eyes like when they go into a shop in the book is that like what what do the people in the shop look like and there's so many where it's just like blonde hair blue eyes and I think because I've got obsessed with it you start mm. getting really like God, like what why why <laughs> like it's white white children aren't the only children reading books like isn't that like if you're going to literally break it down to capitalism and be like well yeah you want to make more money it's like yeah but th th other people read books who aren't white so make books for everybody and then everyone you know obviously you shouldn't just be just reading books that look like you but it's, isn't it I just find it really bizarre when you're drawing characters that you don't try and diversify it more but then of course that's you know, again, why an alt white man would? Oh, they're taking over our books now. We can't even have blonde characters in a kids' book. You're like, no, not just not all blonde. That's what I'm asking. No, but I think it is the assumption that the reader is going to be white. But that happens with adult books as well because you have to italicize every word that's not from English or explain yeah. its meaning because it's assumption that the person who's reading it only knows English or only comes from a certain culture or background oh, or it is that kind of dominant ideology but there's yeah but there's another book called love makes a family which i really love because mm -hmm. because it, they don't make a big deal of different kinds of families or different mm -hmm. kinds of background or heritage but it's just they show it in 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 their different families could be uh, straight or single or mixed heritage or gay families or whatever and they just show it with different kinds of people and different mm -hmm. characters and i think that, i really love that because they don't you can have so many conversations around it and it's not yeah, very hard and I think that's really it's so nice isn't it and obviously I, I know the world is much more complicated than that but for children to try and root it in being kind and love yeah. I think is such like they do understand that concept they really understand that there's so much stuff that you have to peel back from your own upbringing and I think again obviously when you start parenting you you instantly refer back to your own upbringing don't yeah. you like, yeah. what else do I have yeah and and I think, yeah, I have to say having now having a Japanese family, that has been such an eye opener for me of like when I, yeah, and just starting to see things of like, how would I feel if that was my nephew that that was happening mm -hmm. to? How would I feel if, or, and I, I get very funny about East Asian racism as well, because I get very like really casual racism about um Japanese people or Chinese people is said to me because they obviously why would you assume I have a Japanese family like it would never occur to you I don't you know because I'm so white and I found that really oh my god like if you that's my nephews you're talking about like when you're talking about like immigration and stuff like you know my Japanese sister-in-law came here and worked and 
gave back to society and that had two kids and now you're talking about it is it, and the way that white people speak to you because they assume that you're yeah. white that you, like, you're on their team it's really weird yeah that is pretty strange isn't it it's like almost people are putting up a front to be fair-minded but they can make jokes behind the scene and that's about implicit bias or it's explicit but expressed implicitly isn't it yeah, yeah. So kind of microaggressions that can come through in jokes and sometimes people can excuse it as jokes so it's just a joke we made or it's just the society I was, on, I was on the tube and there was some white guys and like a I didn't know if they were Japanese or Chinese you know family and then these guys were like kind of talking about them and I was near enough to hear it and then they sort of like they were just kind of I think they were they were drunk and they were being stupid yeah. and they sort of they like threw this coat like near the little girl and I, like, I said that just nearly hit that child and they were like oh sorry because I really felt like the whole time I was like oh you're talking loud enough that you're not bothered about me hearing but I was like and it's why I mean this is the horrible thing about humans like it wasn't until I had two nephews that weren't white that I was like oh my god that could be my nephew sat there and like you're just not seeing them as people, you know, like that's a child, that's little. And the girl was scared because they were drunk and shouting and she didn't know what was going on. And, you know, it wasn't like they weren't racist capital R to their face, but I definitely got that, you know, I knew what was going on as a white person who was near enough to hear their side of the conversation. So yeah, it's just, it's things have to be shown to you sometimes. I wish it wasn't so that you could just be a really good person and be like, oh, I understand that completely. But definitely I've, I've had to pass three or four years be like, I was wrong. I am incorrect. That is a thing I didn't realize because I hadn't seen it. So I just yeah. it wasn't in the world. And often we assume that racism with a capital R is only with a capital R, that it happens yeah. in explicit acts or hate crimes or, or shouting or saying names or whatever, On for instance. But these kind of glances or making fun or looking away or not looking at somebody in the eye or making jokes or these kind of subtle things can sometimes really affect a child's sense of identity because they know that yeah. they're being seen differently and something is happening, but they are too young sometimes to understand what is happening and why. And that can really affect a child's sense of identity and the of sense course. of belonging, I think. Uh, God, uh, yeah. And I, you know, that again, with my nephews, it's been like, oh, they're going to have to deal with that. Like yeah. they're going to have, they're going to have to ask, be asked that question of where you're from and what does that mm. mean? And and they actually, they don't live in this country anymore and they go to an international school. And that's been really interesting because international school obviously is like, it's people from yeah. all over the world. And you can see at the moment, like they, they have a really fluid concept of like to them, everyone's from somewhere else. Like there's no, yeah. they're all kids not in their home country. So, you know, they have their friends are from Thailand and Libya and Sweden and America. And it's like, I find that really interesting how you can see they're not, they're very not bothered. And there's nothing like, there's no majority to be like, oh, well, we're all English. Yeah. Therefore, this is strange. It's just like, yeah. they're all odd in the foreign yeah. land. So I find that really interesting how unaware they currently are. But then obviously it's quite sad because you're like, it, it is going to one day yeah, wherever they move. Yeah. yeah. But this is really interesting about international school because in one of the episodes I was speaking with Anna Winger who directed, um, produced uh, Unorthodox yeah. and she, her children, they live in Berlin and her children go to an international school and she had a similar experience of how diverse it is because everybody yeah. is from somewhere else. And in a way that is 
really um, creating an equal playing field, isn't it, for children? Because there's no sense of you are actually different to me because I belong here more than you do or in, in any yeah, way. Yeah, it is. I tell you what, I went to university, a guy at university I met, he was born in um, Zimbabwe, but he'd gone to an international school. And this is, again, interesting. Like, I remember he was so friendly to everybody in a really confusing way. And he also had no references because he hadn't watched any of the stuff that we had watched. And he used to always say to us like, oh, like at international school, we were just all friends or we all just did that. And I remember thinking like, I remember talking to him once being like, Alex, you had a really different childhood to us. Like, and feeling like he was sort of odd one out because he'd been brought up in this like really one, yeah, this complete diverse, like everyone yeah. is somewhere else and then I felt really hard for him because I could see sometimes he didn't understand like microaggressions in the way of like and I don't mean racist microaggressions I mean yeah. like just being classist yeah. or judgmental or like oh do you not know that like or this is what's cool and him being like hey but can't we all just be friends because like hey, we're all like the same age and <laughs> me being like I remember thinking he's got such a good open heart and it felt like it hadn't been crushed it felt like a school hadn't crushed it and I was like dude you can't have that good open heart like people will eat you alive that's not that's not how you survive in this world um so yeah I think it, that international school is really it is a wonderful thing I suppose it, you know what do you do because the world is <clears throat> It depends, I suppose, isn't it? If you carry on living abroad and you, you know, you don't settle in <clears throat> where you, where your your nationality is more dominant, it's. Yeah. I think it's, it's a yeah. I think the international school is a beautiful thing that is like a sort of beautiful bubble, isn't it? It's like oh, God, which, should, which should be available to all children, to be honest, isn't it? It shouldn't be something. Ex yeah. <laughs> Look, me and Parker have an idea. Get all the kids, mix them up. Everyone goes to a different school everywhere, all over. And then the parents pick them up after six weeks. It's fine. But then they're all they'll all so good up, it'd be wonderful. <laughs> We've met a trademark. It's somebody's going to steal the idea, Carrot. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but speaking of your half Japanese nephews, it's really interesting to hear that because I think sometimes we get so caught up in racism being black and white as well with children. I think it's very difficult to explain to them that it, it can happen or manifest in other ways or other forms as well. For instance, racism against Japanese or Asian people or if within some of these communities, anti-blackness sentiment happens as well. And how do we talk to our children saying, actually, we can be racist towards other people just because we are in the minority doesn't mean that we can't be racist towards other people of in minority communities but colorism is a huge problem in some of these communities um, I know from my own community but also Asian and a lot of African communities as well um, because of the colonial kind of hangover and legacy yeah, yeah. whiteness is still considered beautiful I know that when <laughs> we went to China um, with my husband people would take his photograph everywhere also <laughs> because he's tall <laughs> because he's tall very tall and then He's yeah. white, and they would just ignore me, of course, because yeah. I don't. I'm not white, and I'm short, so it's like you don't really matter. <laughs> my my husband is also white and tall, and they used to say in Japan they were like they used to call it. Her family said he was a film star. <laughs> so tall and white and we were just like and it's just like yeah the praising of the whiteness was just yes. really strange, yeah. really really strange. Which again, I think is just biggest part of my education, which I've tried to. I try to hold on to it. it's just talking to people who, who know better than you through lived experience I think that is just the biggest eye-opener you can have and listening like you said with your husband rather than being like well I haven't noticed that just being like well maybe ask the person who has yeah <laughs> like, what did they say and I found that 
especially on social media, switching your fo- like following people who don't look like you, who have different opinions to you, and then listening to them. And it's not always easy. There's definitely been times I've been like, <clears throat> "Oh, that's not fair!" Like, "Oh, that's not what we mean." And then be like, "Oh, okay, my defensiveness is probably because there's the truth behind this." And yeah, yeah, and moving away from racism with a capital R which is definitely what I grew up with of like, well, there's, you know, what racism is, is when, you know, they actively say horrible words and understanding like it can happen so much more than that. So much more. And like, I feel like I'm still learning all the time and I'm still having like black lives matter was such a a huge moment. I was like, Oh God, like I thought I was sort of one of the good ones because I was like Mm. following people and doing books. I was like, Oh, you're not, you're not. And you never will be. And you're absolutely steeped in, this country and just by who you are and the way you were brought up and so just to try and keep learning so that you can pass that information on and have that conversation with a child especially I feel really responsible because she's white you know she has two white parents and so she will be things are going to be easier just easier for her in so many ways and that's it's horrible it's such a horrible feeling to sit with but then also you have again trying to sit with like yes but it's not as horrible as someone who has the skin color that's going to make people not hire them but the name that's, that's going to not open as many doors like it's just yeah it's it's complicated but thank you for being so honest and I think what we all can do is to just unlearn our biases and I think being open to that I think is the first really huge step but also sitting with that discomfort I think mm-hmm. I'm anybody not just white parents but me as well I know we have to sit with that comfort with acknowledgement of privilege that we have this privilege and how do we pass on that knowledge of privilege to our children that actually you have certain privilege that you can channel into making a change for other people who don't have other privilege and I think that's such a big thing for me personally yeah I think that's all it's all you can do isn't it and you're like your your family is your little fiefdom isn't it like that's all you have control over you don't really have control over much else and you have little control over the the children anyway but yeah I think the discomfort I wonder as well like because I spend so much time talking about grief and death which is very uncomfortable for some people so I've got quite I've got quite practiced at being uncomfortable so when this when I realized how how much racism was inherent in who I was it was really, un- oh, it was awful. It was just, oh, like I was like such a horrible day. <laughs> I was like, oh God. But then I just to learn to sit in it and be like, okay, this is awful. This is horrible. You have so much privilege that you just weren't aware of. But just to just try and, like you said, sit in it and not bat it away and be like, no, I am a good person. And be like, it's not about being a good person. It's mm-hmm. just about being honest about the system. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. No, I just- Babbling no, on. But unfortunately, we'll have to wrap up. <laughs> we can continue the conversation and hopefully yeah. we'll meet again soon in, in Wales and eat lots of food and walk <laughs> amongst the sheep. Um, but do you have any books or toys recommendation? I know you mentioned one of those books that was really good. Oh, yeah. but... Look Up by Nathan Byron and Dapo Adiola. I hope I'm saying that right. And they just released another one called Clean Up. Um, I love I really love those books Um, they're just really fun and diverse but not you know she's just a character who isn't white and doing normal things rather than talking about the issue of it Um, then the other ones are called Little People Big Dreams and they started mainly um, with all um, like women all from all sorts of different backgrounds and socioeconomic backgrounds and and just you know it's all sort of very feminist they have also started doing um, men so there's Josephine Baker one I think is 
is a good one if your child is quite young because it, it touches on it but doesn't sort of go into it and also we have the Ella Fitzgerald book as well which I think yeah very briefly touches on the fact that she there's a picture where she's like standing outside a, a club and it says no whites sorry no whites <laughs> no whites where was that it says whites only and she's singing in it so um but they also do like Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King and Maya Angelou as well for um uh for old, but I would say like the, the other thing with those books is you have to read them because mm. some of them are definitely aimed at older because mm. the topics they're, they're covering are like too much for a four-year-old I, I discovered when I bought one of them I was like oh this is a... yeah I bought the Maya Angelou one and I was like we're not we're not ready to tackle this because um and they do like a Frida Kahlo one as well but I think that's a those books are really um yeah just really simple way of introducing different cultures and um and different women's stories as well, which is really nice. There's a really good book by Spike Lee called Please Baby Please, which is really good for really little ones. It's just about a cute little baby, basically, which again is just beautifully illustrated and really sweet. That's another one we quite like. And that's good for you, like younger, younger readers. Oh, thank you so much. That's just wonderful. Thanks for your recommendations. I'm going to look them up as well. Um, we love the Frida Kahlo one here. It's yeah, really it's fantastic. Nice. But it's been such a pleasure to speak with you. And uh, hope to speak to you again. Thank you, Karia. I could talk to you all day. Thank you for listening to Wish We Knew What to Say with me, Dr. Pragya Garwal. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also like the accompanying book, which gives scenarios, questions, thought starters, resources, and advice on how to tackle some of these tricky conversations around race and racism with children. Wish We Knew What to Say, the book is available in hardback, ebook, and audiobook from all good bookshops and online retailers. That's all for this week's episode. Please subscribe for more. See you next time. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.